Good morning. How many know that burdens are lifted at Calvary? Oh, I'm so thankful. And uh, I want to mention a couple of things this morning. Barbara brought in a whole bunch of beautiful brand new Bibles. If anybody would like to take some to either give away or to add to your own uh your own uh, library of Bibles, feel free to do that. There's some really nice ones in there. One I could even read without my glasses, so that was pretty cool. <laughs> um, I have a praise report. There was no mention in the paper of a pastor committing a crime against her painter, so that was a good thing this week that... Um, I don't guarantee anything for next week, but this week the Lord was merciful to him. <laughs> so this is a man that Jim used for years and years for painting and he's a good painter. He really is a good painter when he shows up. So <laughs> pray for me this week that uh, I keep my cool and he finishes the job. Last week we talked about God's sovereignty a bit. And even when things are hard to understand and we can't see the pathway, we can't understand God's reasoning, we know and we trust by faith that his nature is unchangeable. He does not change. He doesn't waver. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And today we're going to look at a little bit more in that vein, plus a few other stops along the way. And I just want to ask the Lord, Father, that your presence would dwell upon us, Lord, in the midst of this message, in the midst of this word coming forth. Oh God, that you would season these words with your blessing, Lord, and that they would find their way in our hearts to do the good that you spoke them to do. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We have a lot of scripture this morning, and I don't expect that you'll turn to every one of them, so don't worry about that. But we are going to be in Genesis chapter 17 for a little bit, if you want a, uh, some advance warning to get to Genesis chapter 17. You recall in this passage of scripture that God made a covenant with Abraham. He changed his name. I'm just going to kind of run through some of the history of it and get to where we're going. God changed his name from Abram to Abraham in this passage of scripture, signifying that Abraham would be the father of many nations and that God would establish his eternal covenant through all the generations to come and through Abraham's lineage and give Abraham the land of promise, Canaan land, for his possession. In verse 10, God set the price for Abraham to enter in to this covenant of promise with him. Genesis 17 and 10 says, This is my covenant, which you shall keep 
between me and you and thy seed after thee, every man child among you shall be circumcised, and ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant between you and me. God specified that every male, both those born by blood into Abraham's family or those who may be purchased or adopted is what the, what the uh, word means there, they all must bear the mark of the circumcision. And God decreed that very day, and the one who was uncircumcised, let me say that again, and the one who was uncircumcised, who did not bear the token mark of the covenant, would be cut off or killed from his people, for he hath broken my covenant. So everyone who bore the mark would be covered under the covenant. God said, Moses, because of your prayers, I'm going to bless Ishmael, but he isn't the son of promise. The promise of this covenant will come from you and Sarah, who even in her advanced age will bear a son about this same time next year, and you will call his name Isaac, the one who laughs or rejoices. And in verse 23 of chapter 17, Abraham sealed the deal and circumcised himself, Ishmael, and all the males in his family, whether born of blood or adopted. So Abraham became the father of Judaism and all the descendants from generations from him who bore the mark of circumcision were covered under the Abrahamic covenant. Jump forward six generations and we arrive at Moses. Abraham bore Isaac, who bore Jacob, who bore Levi, who bore Kehath, who bore Amram, who bore Moses. In the book of Exodus, chapter 4, God was setting in motion all the pieces necessary to free Israel from Egypt. The leadership was in place with Moses as God's chosen instrument and Aaron as the priestly spokesman and even Pharaoh who played a pivotal role in this plot that God prepared his heart to be hardened and the rejection by Pharaoh of God's commands to let his people go. Everything was in order to move but there arose a problem. A breach of the covenant occurred in Moses' own household. For Moses' wife, Zipporah, had refused to circumcise her son, and Moses, as her husband, did not take the ultimate responsibility that was charged to him and make him, have him be circumcised. In the book of Exodus, chapter 4, verse 24, the Bible says that God paid a personal visit to kill Moses 
because of the breach of this covenant, God could not let Moses' disobedience cause an obstruction to his plan to deliver Israel, nor could he refute his own word concerning the terms of the covenant when he himself said that anyone who was uncircumcised would be cut off. Verse 24, and it came to pass by the way in the inn that the Lord met Moses and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah, then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely thou art a bloody husband to me. She still rejected the terms in her heart of God's covenant with Abraham and all of the descendants, but she reluctantly followed the, the uh, command and, and she herself circumcised her son in front of Moses and threw it at his feet, hatefully calling him a bloody husband. The action on God's part might sound harsh to us. It might sound like God had played favorites. It might sound like there's no hope for anyone who would be disobedient to God's commands. Yet, in Exodus 33, we see the next installment of the mercy of God. He told Moses, I will grant you to see the glory of my hinder parts and that God would share his ways with Moses and share his plans with him as a friend. God told Moses, there's a place by me. And he put him in the cleft of the rock. You know the story. And he covered him in that place of protection and mercy, covered him with his hand while the glory of God passed by and Moses saw it. So Moses went from almost being killed for disobedience against God's covenant to being shown the very glory of God and being called God's friend, whom he loved to talk with and share with, as it were, face to face. In Exodus 33, 19, God said, Moses, I know you by name, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy, meaning no man can merit, just like Don said a while ago, no man can merit God's mercy. No man can cause his own worthiness before God in God's sight. But it's the mercy and the compassion of a loving God towards a fallible man that meets us where we are. Paul even quoted this passage of scripture in Romans 9, 13. In his care and concern for the non-belief of the Jews, he quoted in verse 13, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. 
No. In verse 15, he said, For Moses, for he saith to Moses, <laughs> Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, it is not of him that willeth, or tries to cause, nor of him that runneth, him that tries to work, but of God that shows mercy. For the scripture saith, this is still Paul talking, for the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up. God said to even Pharaoh, I raised you up that I might show my power in thee and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore, he hath mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. It is in God's hand to show mercy to whom he shows mercy. It's in his hand to even use a Pharaoh to accomplish the plan for his people and to advance the cause of his great name throughout the world. There is so much about God's, God's ways that we don't understand, but we accept and we believe and we trust by faith or else, like Zipporah, we're in rebellion against the God who would show mercy. In Isaiah 46, God was telling Israel how meaningless their idols are, how those idols will bow down to the name of God, and how all those idols are good for is burdening the animals that have to carry them. But in verse 4, of Isaiah 46, God said, But I've carried you from your birth. From the belly is the way it says in the scripture. And I will continue to carry you through your old age, even in the time of your gray hairs, and I will deliver you. I'm getting a few gray hairs here, here, here. But God said, I will carry you through those times and I will deliver you. What a promise from a merciful, living God who shows mercy when it is not deserved, it is not earned, it is not worked for, but we obtain mercy by God's own pleasure to show mercy to whom he will. I'm almost done. In Romans 9.23, you may ask the question, maybe you don't, but I often do. So Lord, what does this have to do with me? Look at Romans 9.23. And he and that he might 
make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, those of us on whom he's shown mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but of the Gentiles. Oh, that just thrills my heart. We don't have to worry that we're not of the band of the Jews, that we didn't come through Israel, we didn't learn their mistakes, but we are Gentiles grafted into the body of Christ through the mercy and that blood that we, that we sang about this morning. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm so thankful that God designed it so that he grafted those of us who were the outsiders in to the fold. Psalm 138.8 says, The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thine hands towards me. If you would turn in your hymnal to page 75, J.C. Penney, who descended from a long line of Baptist preachers, was well on his way to establishing a successful career when the 1929 Great Depression threw him into crisis. His business deals turned sour, and Penny became overwhelmed by anxiety and insomnia, and he developed a very painful case of shingles, and he was hospitalized, but the tranquilizers and the drugs that they gave him only made things worse. His mental state deteriorated until, as he later said, I was broken down nervously and physically. He had a nervous and a physical breakdown. I was filled with despair until, excuse me, unable to see even a ray of hope. I had nothing to live for. I felt that I didn't have a friend left in the world and that even my family had turned against me. But one morning, he heard singing coming from the little hospital chapel. <laughs> the words of the song said, Be not dismayed, whate'er betide, God will take care of you. Entering the chapel that day, he listened to the song, to the scriptures being read, and to the prayer. And suddenly, something happened. He said, I can't explain it. I can only call it a miracle. I felt as if I had been instantly lifted out of the darkness, out of the dungeon, into a warm, brilliant sunlight. All the worry left as he realized more than he ever had imagined in his lifetime just how much the Lord Jesus cared for him. 
And from that day, J.C. Penney was never plagued by worry, anxiety, and he later recalled those moments in that chapel as the most dramatic and glorious 20 minutes of his life. And as we all know, he later became one of America's greatest retail merchants in history. On a Sunday in 1904, Sevilla Martin was in Leicestershire, New York, where her husband Walter was compiling a collection of hymns for the Practical Bible Training School. They were planning to travel to another town that day, for Martin had a preaching engagement. But Sevilla woke up sick on that day, and Martin was going to cancel his plans and stay home to take care of his wife when their young child spoke up and said, Daddy, you don't have to stay home with Mama. God will take care of us. Martin went to the train station and fulfilled his appointment. And when he returned, his wife, Sevilla, handed him the words of this song, God will take care of you, which she had written that day in his absence. Martin went to his little organ and he composed the music that same day and it was published in the book of hymns that he was writing for the Bible school. I want to ask you, how many of you know this song or even have ever heard it? One, two, okay, three of us. Well, you better sing hard and loud because <laughs> I can't reach some of these notes, as you well know. But this is a beautiful song. The scripture I read in Psalm 138.8 said, He will perfect that which concerneth me. God will take care of you. Would you stand and in closing we'll sing it. <clears throat>
What a beautiful promise. Be not dismayed. To turn J.C. Penney's life around and cause the healing in his mind and in his body. And I know that he's perfecting things that concern you and me. And he will take care of us. Father, go with us today. We thank you for this word. We thank you for the assurance, O oh God, that you have mercy in your hand and that you gave that mercy to those who believe, to believe on your son, Lord, that you've grafted us into the family of God through that mercy. Be with us this week, Lord. Take care of every single one. And we look to you, Father, as the author and the finisher of our faith. In Jesus' precious name, we thank you for it all. Amen, amen. and amen. Thank you.